he gets out ahead of me and gets to the ram first and started taking some photos of the other ram that had just wandered off 100 yards away. And I come up over the little ridge where we where this one had died at, and as soon as I seen this ram on the ground, you know, it's the opposite of ground shrinkage. I'm like, oh, no. All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk. I'm your host, Tyler Friel, and sitting with me, I have my longtime buddy, Steve Hollenbeck, the notorious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I met Steve, I think it was 2005 or 2006 yep. um, at the rifle range. Yep. And it turns out we were both into sheep hunting, and uh, a few years later started sheep hunting together, and we've been on a lot of hunts together. Yes. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, um, Steve, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and uh, give us a little background. Again, my name is Steve Hollenbeck. I, uh, I moved to Alaska in uh, April of 2000, um, as a lot of folks here in the Fairbanks area uh, the military brought me here. Um, I was stationed down in Utah for seven years prior to that. Um, so my folks live in Idaho. So Western hunting has always been something I have been always wanted to do and always since I was 12 years old been doing Western style backpack hunting. But, you know, Alaska is the pinnacle of that, so I was fortunate enough to get stationed here in my late 20s, early 30s, so um, I've been, I never missed a season, even though I had lots of deployments in there, I was always seemed to be able to at least schedule my deployments as much as I could around hunting season. Yeah, that's it, I guess it wasn't even me scheduling, it was just the luck of yeah when I was going to be tasked with these so, yeah because you had a lo- you had a lot of deployments I, did. I remember yep. over those years I did I had a lot so um yeah nine combat deployments so it it was it was a few years um spent there so and you know that goes all the way back to my young when I first came in the Air Force um, in ninety two I had nine totally deployments so um. But again, I was always able. I never missed a hunting season. So yeah. Well, I remember that first year. It was right after after we met you. You were getting deployed right after hunting season, and you told me to wait and send my my pictures That's from it. my sheep hunt till you were overseas. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, always something to look forward to because I was able to do uh, that was 06, uh sheep season. I was able to do um, a hunt which I knew I was I was tasked to deploy. And, uh, I knew I would be able to, uh, get that last hunt in before I went. And so that was my least amount 2006, as far as the time that I put in the field was, you know, that was the least amount, but I was able to get, you know, one of the most important, my sheep hunt in. So, yeah. you know, all my buddies, my lower 48 guys, I told them, wait to send me all the photos until I'm there. And some of those didn't start until October, November when I was already over there anyway. So, it was always nice to see photos like that, just to bring back, uh, you know, memories and whatnot, which helps pass the time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that year you got that big ram out of the out of the whites, that big double broomer. Yeah, that one. That's right. So. But yeah, it was, uh, and you did some guiding too. Before I remember, you I did stories. You did some sheep guiding. I, you know, just one on contract. Yeah. Uh, technically contract if um i 
basically I was compensated for it through an outfitter. And, um, you know, that was in 04. So I got a, I helped that client get a really good double broomed ram off that hunt there. It was the, literally the last five minutes of his 10 day hunt. Yeah. I remember hearing that, that whole story. I told him that, you know, I basically is like, if you want to get a ram, you need to let me carry your rifle. You let you need to let me carry your backpack, and because uh, you're just not cutting it physically. And it's yeah. just, you know, I some people don't come up here. They they think that it's you know these animals are just right there, and it's no going to be no problem. Like some maybe they're lower forty eight back east hunting, but it's just a lot of people are just not physically and mentally prepared for it. This guy smoked, which, you know, I, that's right there is going to be a, a cutback on your success just in that there. But when he started finally listening to me, we were, you know, he got a ram. I mean, it was yeah. it just it turned out and, um, you know, but I just don't think it would have taken place if he'd have, you know, didn't want to, you know, give that pack up and let some pride away that yeah. it wasn't just going to happen, which, hey, what, you know. That's the way it is. But it it was a really good, like I said, really good double broom bram. So Yeah, and then uh and the rest of the time was guiding your brother. Brother <laughs> or you know, that was that's the main next to kin. Um, you know, but any friends that haven't done it or been out in the field, you know, I try to, you know, come along, you know, I, I just like sheep hunting, you know, just because yeah. you can't pull the trigger doesn't mean you can't be out there spending the time looking at rams, which no matter what, every one of those is an experience builder. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. You, you learn stuff from one hunt to the next that you can keep in your back pocket for the next year. So, you know, this year I've I've got a few hunts planned. Um, so when Alaska changed the law uh, a few years back on next to kin or non-residents, say, that can only hunt one ram if they're successful every four years i you know that was a a big change for my brother and him coming because he would come up here every year and hunted Mm -hmm. but you know and i told him if you want to hunt sheep every year you need to move to alaska yeah so now it's it's you know in line with the brown bear season so one bit one ram every uh four years if you're successful so but you know i still find the time to get out at least two hunt two sheep hunts yeah unless you get this monster ram on you know your first day out you know i'm kind of selective on what i'm going to take so that's i ended up doing two sheep hunts last yeah. year on my own yeah and uh and like you said just the experience building i mean i think i think i was trying to count it up the other day when we we were talking i think i've seen 26 of them hit the dirt you know whether and i count you know, the ones I was right there with you oh. and other people, but, and I mean, what you said, you were like 37, 37 Rams. Uh, um, and I consider that, I mean, you take credit for mine and you're there with me and I do the same with yours. It's no different in the commercial outfitters and yeah. guides that, you know, what they say that, you know, the numbers that they have, it is absolutely no different. Yeah. So in fact, I would actually probably say it's more intimate affair with people that you know, you yeah. know, brothers, friends, uh, you know, you can't compare that to somebody as a paying client, I don't think. I think that you, there is a lot more stuff you learn just off of, you know, hunting with your buddies or your family. 
than you possibly could. Now that again, that's just my opinion. I, uh, but yeah, thirty-seven Rams. So, um, and that's since two thousand. My first year hunting was I drew a permit in Idaho in ninety-seven, which I wasn't successful on that hunt, but. Eventually, I'll get back to it. Hopefully, get drawn for that permit. Yeah, I hope so again because Idaho is still uh, random, isn't it? It is still random draw. So, um, but you know, like I said, that's uh, my goal. Is you know, I've got eighteen points, I think, in Utah for uh, desert bighorn. Um, you know, Idaho's a random draw. I believe I have fourteen or fifteen in Nevada for desert bighorn which in nevada it's they square those points you know so this year i think i'll have 15 15 times 15 you know you're you're that's how many name times your name goes in there so it's getting a low draw number so i'm hoping eventually i'll get drawn on that but you know all sheep hunters think that too so yeah um you know if you're if you want a guarantee to do it it's you know you just got to pay the the money so you know a stone sheep is in my future i don't know when but it will be within the next five years. I know that for sure. Yeah, that'll be awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really glad to get you get you on the podcast. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I kind of joked about this beforehand. You know, Steve's kind of a no brainer to get on here. And I <laughs> I remember the other day I asked you, I don't want to sound stupid, but what what is a podcast exactly? <laughs> I'm not a real tech guy. <laughs> well, I and and that story I was trying to remember earlier. We were. Uh, Steve never used to text. Yeah, it wasn't until 2012 that I think yep. I sent my first text out. And then it was... Uh, a flip phone. <laughs> and I remember this we, we, had, we were going on a goat goat hunt. Steve and I had drawn party tags, and uh, we had just got back from like 13 days sheep hunting, and yep. then had like two days to get gear cleaned out and go down, drive down to fly out and go goat hunting. And I'm on my way down to meet him. And I get this long text from him, and I <laughs> called him up. I was like, you just spent 20 minutes typing that text out, didn't you? <laughs> that is right. That was all on a flip phone, so it's yeah, a lot but, different now. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But, yeah, that uh, was uh, 2012 on our – we were f- meeting at Meekins Air Service yep. out of uh, Sheep Mountain near Eureka. Yep, and uh, now look at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now you uh, – You've been putting together custom mountain rifles for a while too now. I have. I you know, I I let's see, I built my first built my first rifle in nineteen ninety seven. Was the very first rifle I put together. Um back then I'd have all my machine work done by uh contracted out by somebody I actually knew really well. Um, but I did all the stock work and all the painting and stuff like that, you know, the fitting, which in, I'm an old school guy, as far as hearing lots of talk from these older bench rest shooters and, and reading stories when I was young and, you know, these guys would, that I respect a lot, they know what the three B's of accuracy are bullet barrel and the bedding, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I chose a quality barrel, um, and, you know, I'd shoot quality bullets. As long as the gun's put together right by a competent gunsmith, you know, you can really screw things up by having a problem in your bedding and whatnot and your stop fit. So that was one area that I I did everything hands-on myself. You know, since then, I've 
I've moved past that to where I'm doing pretty much all of the stuff myself now. But yeah, I, um, I had a, uh, 97 was my first year. I built it on a, uh, a Remington short action model 700 and I built it in 284 Winchester. So, um, I know a lot of guys are putting those in long actions, but I didn't see the point of doing that when I'm wanting to squeeze as much velocity out of a, you know, that big case. And I wanted in the lightest rifle I could. If I was going to build on a long action, I might as well build in a seven Mac. Yeah. So, um, I did some, I had some work done on the magazine, had that magazine box extended out, had a, uh, fabricated a uh a magazine box liner before wyatt company were doing them out of oregon so yeah i you know we had a lot of ideas back then which you know a lot of other guys did too you know and then you know eventually a lot of more of these parts are available for you to get so um but yeah right now i you know it's i can't say it's a full-time job it's not even close but I like spending the winter months up here doing that. Yeah. So, and um, you're you know double broom mountain rifles. Yes, that's uh, you know I went back and forth and uh, I retired from the Air Force in 2012 and about 2009, you know I'd get calls from folks and one of my buddies goes, "You get enough calls from guys asking more about guns and whatnot. Why don't you you know start putting these together?" Which I decided to do. So. You know, I was back and forth on different names, and I, I wanted it part of the sheep hunting community. And if you're a sheep hunter, you know what a double broomed is. Yeah. If you're not, what's that mean? You know. Mm-hmm. So the people that I really, you know, look forward to selling are your serious sheep hunters. That's the you know the guy that's that's you know the ones that I I enjoy building those guns the best. Yeah, and you know, you built that one for me a few years ago, and that thing. Light, I think it was on a on a Remington action and Lilja barrel yeah. and uh a uh I had a uh a titanium bolt uh pattern done on it for fluting and uh I don't know if I put a mini M sixteen or a Seiko extractor in it. I can't remember. Uh, I was doing a lot of Seiko extractors I since have gone to pretty much the Mini M sixteen extractor and the industry has done that too, you know, that's yeah. just the way it goes. But you know, I I was back and forth on what I was going to name this company, and I had the the, the TMA Mountain Rifles, uh, which, you know, is the Took Management Area, which, of course, you drew a tag yeah. this year. So um, so I wanted I wanted it revolved around mountain hunting, sheep hunting. So I settled on, um, I settled on uh, Double Broom Mountain Rifles, but all of my mo- models that I build – whether they be on a Remington Titanium or a uh, Kimber 84 uh, Montana or one of the Colt Light Rifles. I've bought a bunch of those for donor rifles or uh, a Pierce uh, Titanium Action or a Stiller. I've made their model numbers revolve around the mountain ranges that the doll sheep you know, live here in Alaska. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, like my flagship gun is built on a Pierce Engineering titanium and it's the chugach ovis hunter and uh um my 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 personal favorite is still the remington titanium and that's called the tma ovis hunter cool. so which i again it's just centered around that and then i wanted something alaska themed so yeah. they're all right here 
you know, where they all live. So eventually a goal of mine is to, to get a ram out of every one of these mountain ranges. So I've gotten a few different ones, but there's a few that I still yeah. need to get to. I think Steve's one up for me on the I, to- yeah. total number. Yeah. We, every we, year yeah. call up after, you know, sometimes our hunts are kind of staggered. Yeah. <laughs> call them up. All right. What, or we get back and tie ball. How'd, you, how'd you do? <laughs> no, how'd you do? You tell me you, you go first. Yeah. That was, uh, we were tied up and then I, I think you took the lead when I, when I passed myself out of shooting one a couple of years ago yep. and then, yep, and then I tied it up and then you took was, the lead back <laughs> late, late season last year. Yep. That was, uh, yeah, we were tied up and yeah, that's always, I, I, that's the pressure of mine in the back, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. And I'm like, yeah, I got to, Tyler killed that Ram. I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, that was a late. Yours was a later season, though, wasn't it? It wasn't no, the opener? this last year was the opener. Oh, it was. The, the one before that was, like, that's right. I killed him on, like, September 10th. That's right. Well, I got, that's where I got my ram this year. And I changed up my, you know, it was a long, my first my first year's sheep hunting. I always went late season. Uh, probably because just that's when the, the um, charter services had openings or whatever reason. I thought I could, you know add a bunch of other game in there which we all know that's if if you want a sheep hunt go when to sheep hunt and yeah i mean how how many gigantic caribou bulls have we passed up over the years because we're you know it's you basically burn your sheep hunt you do you know and my last dry year was 2014 and i killed this you know i made a something i never do i killed this big grizzly you know before i'd got this ram down and I think it's just a curse. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's how I feel, you know. If you, you know, I really think sheep hunters should be, and especially in these areas that are just predators all over the place, ought to be taking these. But it's that's pretty much why I justified doing it in that, you know. And then he was, you know, pretty easy stock up three hundred yards away. So, but that was my last dry year. It was, and I attribute a, you know, a little bit to that time because that was all day spent, you know. Fleshing him out, getting him down to camp, you know, and then, you know, going in from there. So you, you cut one whole day down, which yeah. could mean, you know how it is. I mean, oh, yeah, one day could be everything. It was a good weather day, both days. You know, he shot him late one night, got him down to camp, you, you know, two in the morning. You don't get up till, you know, 10. I mean, I know it sounds lazy, but in the Arctic, it's just, you know, you just run on the clock that's in your head. That's it. Yep, you know, you need much. a watch during the during the opener, you know, the early August hunt. So, and then, you know, you're, you're trying to get, so, you know, I do attribute losing a whole day, one of that, you know, and also our, our numbers of sheep up there where we were hunting really went, took a nosedive. So yeah, that year was a pretty rough year, which, yep. Or the, the previous winter, right. So. Which I guess leads me into, uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Houdini. Oh, Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Houdini was this Ram that, you first saw in 2010. 2010. And we saw him 2011, yep. 2012, and 2013, and I think he died that winter. Yes. Most likely. Well, well yeah, we never, you haven't seen him since. No. And, uh, I see yeah, him. Yeah, you, because, you, you, yeah, I wasn't there when you first saw him. No, I, um, you know, as much sheep and stuff I've looked at, there's still a couple things that are always hard for me and one thing it's hard for me is 
two equal size rams together is very for whatever reason is very tough for me to judge you know and i'll add because i saw the pictures of them they looked like normal configured sheep right both of them right like, bear you you know looking at the pictures like all right well bar- both barely full curl right and sheep exactly and uh this their particular horn configuration once this ram is on the ground and you i look at he doesn't look anything like the mountain range we killed him out of nothing no. you know this is the brooks range and i if i'd have told you he was a southeastern uh wrangles ram you'd believe me because that's what he looked like and so anyway we spot these rams my brother is a pretty quick on the trigger um he, he just says i just like to hear the gun go yeah. off <laughs> and so it he doesn't wait a long time to shoot whatever we're hunting it's which you know everybody has their thing and that's okay so we get up into shooting range of this and i'm watching these two rams side by side almost identical looking and i'm like i just said to myself i don't know which i said well, just shoot the one on the right you know yeah they're both legal just the one on the right looks good and so he does. He knocks him over, and um, he gets out ahead of me and gets to the ram first and started taking some photos of the other ram that had just wandered off 100 yards away. And I come up over the little ridge where we where this one had died at, and as soon as I seen this ram on the ground, you know, it's the opposite of ground shrinkage. I'm like, oh, no. I says, Gary says, that other ram is right over the hill there, and I took off after him and... You know, there was a bunch of rams. I think there was 40 different rams in this valley. We, we eventually called it Too Many Ram Valley for yeah. for the obvious reasons. But I actually never saw this ram that year, and that was 2010 again. And uh, my brother's ram ended up being right at 40 inches and a 14 and a quarter inch basis. It was a big ram. Right. And in this ram was the exact same size. Yeah. I mean, and they, he was eight. Um, and we imagine the other ram was been eight two. It's hard to say, but they were identical looking. So when I seen him on the ground, I knew I had messed up, and I should have shot that one right then. Yeah. But it made for interesting stories because I told Tyler about this ram, and and he had a black spot on the back of yep, one of his of his right or right, left horn right above his remember. ear. Yeah, on the back side of his horn, it was a almost like a spider web crack. Yeah, about. I don't know, two and a half inches, you know, round, and you could see this. It was a very uh, conspicuous mark on him, and we saw him on the was the eighth. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was the, it was the eighth because we got in year. on the seventh. Yeah, right up above camp. Right up above camp. Um, Tyler got some awesome photos, and at the time we hadn't named this ram because you know it takes a couple of years for a legend to set in and. Once we, we never saw that ram, but once we got home, we were successful that year. We all got good rams that mm-hmm. year. When we got home, we started manipulating these photos, and we could see that the 2010 and the 2011 ram were the same. They had that big spider web break on him. Yeah. And we coined the term Houdini on him that year. Yeah, and he just, we, I mean, right above camp a day or two before the season yep. started and looked for him, and it just never found him again. Yep. And he was a, we, you know, well, well, legal ram. And that was conservatively in 2011, he would have been nine. Yeah. Then in 12. When he was 
10, you know, we're, we're yep. assuming er, he was 10. We, uh, let's see how that, we you've yeah. seen him on that big had, mountain above the river. Yep. Cause I, I had, uh, Tit peak. Yeah. I had, um, screwed the pooch and missed this ram, this one and this other rail side story. He was with a group. They were kind of scattered around and me and Steve tried to get in there and I just pushed it more than I should have. I mean, I should have just been patient because there's rams all over and they kind of consolidated in a group. There was 47 rams in this group and he was by far the most impressive looking one of all of them. Mm-hmm. turns out he's one of them kind of like, call it like the pygmy, a pygmy ram. Yep. Super impressive, but really not that big. Anyway. A curl and a third or so. Yeah. Yeah. Way over full curl. And, uh, so I blew that and they left the country and we moved farther up the valley and got up on the ridge line, on this ridge line and we're running and Steve saw him first. It was to this ram and a little ram. And, uh, so Steve looks at him and nah, I think I'll pass. And I start looking at him and of course taking full advantage of who spots at first and then he pass like you're gonna pass this sheep, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I start looking at him and I'm like, I think that's who I think that's Houdini. <laughs> I like looked at him for a while and I real yeah, that's him. Yeah. And then Steve got on there, shit. <laughs> that was him. <laughs> so uh yeah, so all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to shoot Houdini, and uh, we got down there. Well, we got to 400 yards, and I set up on a bipod, I believe. I mean, mm-hmm. ready to shoot, finger on the trigger, and he's laying there bedded with his horn, one of his horns covering his ribs, and it was Not just worth the worth the risk of shooting. No, him. I would. I know I would have blown half his horn off, but uh. So instead of just waiting, I said, Steve, get him to stand up. Because most of the time, like most Rams I've seen, if oh, they yeah. see something that's weird or, you know, you're you're four or 500 yards away from them, you stand up and wave your arms or something, they'll see you immediately and jump up on their feet. And, you know, they may go a few steps, but they'll stop and stare at you for at least a few seconds. Yep. And this was... 10 o'clock at night. So it wasn't, we didn't have a lot no, of No, we didn't have a lot. Yeah. And that may have played into why we didn't wait. I, it's been so long ago, but, uh, so Steve, get him to stand up. And so he gets up, starts waving his arms, that thing. And I, I had my finger on the trigger. Like as soon as he gave me any shot, I was, I was ready to take it. And, uh, man, that ramp jumped up and he didn't stop till he was over the top of that mountain. Yep. Right, reminded me of big muleys in the lower 48 in the exact same way. They just, I've never seen a ram just jump up and run, but he did. Yeah, and, and it little, wasn't like we popped over a rock 100 yards yeah. from him either. You know, it was just, I mean, that's why. And he, we were above him. Yeah, we were above him, and I don't know, it just, that yeah, was, it was a pretty. Fate had it, you know. Pretty sick feeling. So that was 2012. 2012, and then. Uh, we ended up. All getting rams that year, and just, I did. I did kill the ram I missed. I was pretty happy yeah. about that. We found him the next day, I think. Yeah, after that, and uh, they had gone oh, completely over into a totally different basin, and we found him in the afternoon. And I think the first time we spotted him, he was like 500 yards from us, yeah. down below us in this basin. But there was probably, I think, there was like 200 sheep in that mm-hmm. basin. 
the majority of them were Rams. There was over 70 Rams yeah. within. There was that group of 47 or 52 Rams plus ones that were had joined but weren't right in the exact same yeah. area, but within glassing distance. Yeah, so we're looking at him, and there is no possible way to get close to this thing. Like, you, without getting busted, just not, it's not happening. And so we did a little trick that, that I, I don't know, in my experience, has seemed to work pretty well. It was uh, late August, and it was getting to the point where it never got totally black dark up there, but it was starting to get pretty dark around 1130 or midnight, and watch these sheep, and they didn't go very far, but they all kind of congregated and bedded, and he bedded in a very, like, unique spot where if you could see the white dots and they didn't move, like, you know, you knew knew which one was him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically waited till it got real dark, and I don't know if it's because they, they, you know, they're, half of them are sleeping or or what, but they just don't seem to, it seems like you can get closer to them in the dark in the wide open than you ever could yep. during the day. And uh, so that's what we did. I mean, there wasn't a lot of ways to get out of sight, but uh, Gary and I managed to work over there, work over there and shot him. And uh, so it was kind of, even though he, he, he wasn't near as well. And we, after looking over him again, we he's still decided, sheep. yeah, he's I a mean, beautiful sheep. It's but, hard uh, to turn down a, a curl and a third. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, and not to play him down, but we had noticed that he wasn't quite as big as we originally thought. But uh, man, it was it was really cool. Even though I mi- didn't get a shot at Houdini to be able to go and get the one I had missed. Yep. And uh, then the yeah. what, next year. Next year was thirteen. 13. That was the that was the wet one. Yep. Cold snow. We'd split up. Yeah. I hunted with my brother, and you were hunting with <clears throat> with Tim. Yep. And you guys. What you guys went up on a farther ridge away, didn't you? Yeah, we went up a different drainage and came over the top to hunt the top end of that that one set of mountains. And uh, I couldn't, I did not talk to you guys through at least three days. Maybe uh, it was it was a week, I think. Yeah, and I because um, we because we had uh, that was one where we were we got back to the airstrip on the morning of day fourteen. Oh, that's right, or that's day right. fifteen. That's right. And uh, but yeah, so we you know Tim and I had been hunting this uh, and we were seeing good rams, but. Just the fog, every time the fog would roll in, I think there was like one day while we were out in the field that we saw the sun. Yep. That was after it dumped all that snow. But uh, I met up with you guys yep. on the, at the in the bottom of the drainage there mm-hmm. and said I was going to go up, you know, as far as I could go. And uh, I met up with another group of guys that we'd seen on a strip. And uh, I had seen what I thought was a good ram um, up on a mountainside and I was just running out of light. So I ended up coming back, <clears throat> hiking that four miles back to camp. Then we had a rain day, remember? Yep. Rain like you wouldn't believe. And we were right on that snow line, but all the creeks just rose to where even the feeder creeks and, the you know, you couldn't get across them. So I'd walk back up there. And sure enough, that ram that was on that hill was still there. And I got out my spotting scope, and this was the longest I was able to look at this ram over the, since 2010. Every year we'd seen him. And he is a beauty. I, I would say conservatively 43 inches. Yeah. 43. I'd 
good heavy bases on him. You know, I don't know if he'd have made book, but he'd have been dang close to making book. And he was with that same ram that I thought that he was with the year before. The yeah. Year you were just about to shoot at him. And I know he was Houdini. I'd seen him the most. I, I watched him for an hour and a half, I bet you. I had the scope on him at 700 yards. Yeah. Watched him. And he came all the way down 200 yards up from the river. And you couldn't get across I the could river. Not get a, I couldn't get across the feeder creek. Yeah. If I could have got across to the feeder creek, I think I'd have shot him and left him on that side and just went over, you know, eight hours after the river went down because that's all it was doing. And, yeah. You know, we were – the farther you walked up, you know, these rivers are dropping a lot faster, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot less feeder creeks coming in. But I could have had a 300 – I could have stayed out of sight till a 300-yard shot. And I think I'd have just – I wouldn't have risked my life getting across the river, of course, but I'd have probably just – Left him there. When the river went down, I walked across to get it. Yeah, because they were coming up. You know, they'd come up in the afternoon, and then by you know by ten, eleven o'clock at night, they were dropped yep. back down to a pretty reasonable level. But I, you know, and that we couldn't get across. So the next day, we I I'd hiked up farther up there the next day up the, and I never saw him actually again. That was actually the last time I saw him. No, because we. uh on the very last day we could hunt, it was like day 12, um, we were going up after that group that you had spotted mm-hmm. that had two legal ones with Tim to get them those oh, two. That's right, yeah. And I was coming with you guys. This is the last day we'd still be able to hunt. We're like 26, 27 miles from the airstrip mm-hmm. and be able to make it back and catch our plane. And uh, go up this side canyon. We'd located those rams, go up this side canyon and start climbing on the stock. And I don't know if it was you or whoever, we saw these three sheep like two or three miles farther up that side canyon up on this side of this mountain and uh, pull out the spot and scope and one look like, yep, that's him. I mean, from that far away, there's just absolutely zero doubt, like just a giant sheep. He's the biggest sheep I've seen on the hoof. And so I'm like, all right, see you guys later. (laughs) And uh, so I left the spot and scope with them and took off. And the only approach up there is right in the bottom. And in the, you know, probably for a mile, I was right where, you know, in full view. But it was snowing so hard that I was banking on the movement of the snow and all that. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't see me. A couple snow squalls in between. And they didn't. And uh, they were feeding down the canyon. You know, I was working up and they were feeding down the canyon on this hillside and the other two he was above the other two you know 50 yards or whatever they're feeding towards this side can this other little side cut and right about the time it quit snow and i was able to get to the next side cut down and just hoofed it as fast as i could all the way up to the top of that and I'm get up there crawl up to this it's just literally a knife back ridge coming off there on my belly and peek over and there's only two of them there. That's right. And I waited and waited and it was getting dark. And the only thing I can think of is just something that Ram just has a sixth sense about him. Yeah. I mean, those those other two had come around the corner into that side draw and bedded. And I could see a a good portion of that hillside that they'd come from, but, uh, peek over the top and, and they were bedded and it was only two of them there. He was gone. And, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I'd rather have that than have 
plug the one and and have him jump up from behind a rock, you know, that would have made me even more sick. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I uh, last last light on the last day, basically, you know, and, and the other one was a really good ram. So I'm, well, I guess this is what I got and shot him, and he was he's a great ram. But uh, that was the last time we saw Houdini. He, it was he gave us the slip. Um, yep, that's but. You know, he's one of those things you always talk about. You know, if somebody would have oh, got yeah. him, we probably wouldn't be having this, you know, conversation. No, absolutely it, not. You know, it's got got through, and it's kind of cool. You know, I would so say many, at a minimum he was 11 years old, and you know he could have had a he could have been a year older than my brother's ram in in 2010. It's 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 really hard to say, but I would say easily 11 years old. Yeah, which is a prime, you know. Getting up their sheep, you know, they're living on, yep. once they, you know, once they get past eight, they're living on borrowed time. No, that, that is very true, that, but they, the growth that, you know, I can only compare him to this other ram mm-hmm. and the amount of growth that this ram had put on between his seventh and eighth year was a lot. Yeah. So you have no idea, but I would say conservatively, he was 43 inches the yeah. in 13 when I'd watched him and for yeah, so long. Yeah, cuz you got a good look at him and all I all I got through the spot and scope was from a couple 3 miles away up the drainage and uh I mean literally even through the snow one look and yep that's him. Yep. You know, there's there there ain't going to be that many rams of that caliber running around there's just not. Nope. And uh we did so all get we all got good rams though that yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, it was every, it was a great hunt. Yeah, that was I a, think Tim and I put on 110 miles. Yep. Yeah, you. I was uh, twenty miles less than you. No, thirty miles because I didn't. I didn't do as much walk in, but then I also was in the raft. Yeah, and, and I was uh, a human popsicle when yeah. I got out of the raft. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll get to we'll get to a raft story a little later, but <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that oh, that was rough. And and while we were up there doing this, because Gary had shot his sheep right off the bat, so. Yep. Soon as your your um, legal obligations for staying with him were done, it's off to get one. And he shot a caribou too, because mm-hmm. that that was the year with that. And we think it was the same bear on the last podcast. I with my buddy Matt, I talked about this bear that pushed on the guy's head in the tent. Yep. And I think it was the same bear because Gary was a few miles down the canyon yep. with his caribou and had shot the thing and separated the meat from the guts and. Yep. What do you say that bear bluff charged him three times yep. or something like that? Mm-hmm. And it, I think it was after that something had happened with his rifle, like bolt his, came his off, bolt, bolt handle, yeah. like yep, some like holes in the, you know the weld that Remington had put on that just popped right off, which is something that you've you know they're only uh, brazed on there, and so yeah, so he's got still got meat to pack out. And he's telling us all this, you know, when we meet back up and uh, just like, man, guys, this was nuts and thought I was going to die. And he, he said, you know, climbed in this tent at night and sleeping bag. And I think what he said was he, he you know, when he's by himself, he'd sleep with a round in the chamber, but he'd pop the bolt handle open just yep. to be safe. And uh, said he popped that bolt handle open and the bolt handle came off in his hand. Yeah. And then he figured out, oh, no, I don't have a gun now. Yeah. Now I got to go. I got to go get the rest of this meat after this grizzly bear's been up there charging me. Yeah. <laughs> Thought about, you know, taping my knife to my rifle barrel. Yep. But. Yep. That was, uh, it is one of those things when you're back there by yourself and 
there's just bears all around and you know stealing meat i mean that was something yeah. that always happened well and to it him always, especially it all, because he had shot them early yeah you know and i i had never had any yeah i still know. you know it seemed like gary and it, that's yeah. probably why but gary was he had what three sheep that yeah. grizzly bears ate mm-hmm. his three sheep he didn't wasn't able to take out sheep meat in three years up there and that caribou i only think he got one hindquarter off of it that bear had sat and ate over a hundred pounds of meat in one sitting it's, it's just nuts how much they can put away. Yeah. Well, and then on, I think it was 2011, up in that same country, Jeremy had shot his caribou mm-hmm. and was down there working on packing him out. And I remember what he said. He woke up at night, thought he was dreaming, heard right. all this growl, you know, growling and, and, and carrying on. Sow and the two or three cubs yeah, she had with her. And chewing on his caribou head, right, you know. Feet away, right, right outside the tent, and he's. Oh, I thought I was dreaming, so I just went back to sleep. I mean, it's. We've talked about that when we go hunting, and well, what are we going to do? And it. What do you do when you're yeah. a bear right outside? Unless you, you know, stone him dead, you know, feet away when yeah. you're in a sleeping bag. You could argue there's two sides that you can pretend he ain't there and just roll over, or you shoot. I mean. There's arguments to do on both. Ignore him as much as you can, or because if you make a bad hit on him, I can guarantee he's on no, top of you. Ain't gonna be happy. Yeah, no, exactly. So, well, and I don't know. I remember one time at that lower camp of ours, there was a bear. You know, we had some meat in camp and seen a grizzly up uh, seven eight seven hundred yards or so across the valley. And I think that one is. It was right before bedtime. We slung slung a bullet in a rock like you know 50 <laughs> yards from it or something just to run it out. and it worked it i think took off but uh gary had that one at that same spot i think when we, another time when we were we, we were, were away from there hunting and had that bear that he was shooting in the it was right across the river from him kind of acting like it wanted to get into camp and he's shooting in the dirt at its feet you know trying to spook it off and i think that was a young one but yeah, that's, uh, again, that's bears. You know, I, knock on wood, have never, other than some meat steal, stole from us, I, you know, on Kodiak this year, I had one that got a little close that I had to shoot right near, but I haven't had any of the bad stories that people have had, you know, where yeah. they, your tents and your, your camp, and which can totally change your hunt. I mean, you, if your camp is destroyed and you're, all your, you know, provisions are gone, you pretty much you got to be a tough dude to be hanging out there any longer than that. Oh so, yeah, well I mean, I like always, if something like that had happened, say you know, on our goat hunt in Kodiak, you know, with the weather we had like turned into into just surviving pretty quick. Yes, it it can like you know? that that one morning we woke up at three o'clock in the morning and set our tent in a spot that looked like it had good drainage it had been raining for two weeks straight and and the ground was yeah it wasn't saturated or anything so oh good woke up like we're on a waterbed yep yeah that was a a testament to that tent that we were using i mean you know it was the ceiling had eight inches of water yeah you know it was a pool about you know four you know i'd say probably 14 15 inches across and about Six inches deep, where it just yeah and that collected mount, that mountain hardware dome yeah. tent. I think is yeah, what the, it was, the, wasn't the, it? the the satellite. It's a good, high quality you know mountaineering tent, but you know that was 
completely waterproof. And we were, like I say, we were in a waterbed. Yeah, and it, it, it was scary because you'd think if we'd been in something lesser, like we'd have been in yeah. trouble. It would have yeah. been a bad it night. It would have been a bad bad issue. But That's, we were fortunately able to just get out there and unstake it and pick it up and move it to a spot with some better drainage. But Yeah, I don't think that... That's one of the things about Alaska hunting that I read different, you know, outdoor forms or whatever, you know, that, oh, what can I get by with? I'm like, that's not the attitude to have when you hunt, when you can't get into your truck and drive home. Yeah. Not, I mean, I don't use that attitude anywhere because, you know, um, buy nice or buy twice has always been something. But um, when you are in a position that you're depending on an airplane to come get you. So your tent fails because of crappy weather or what have you. Yeah. What else isn't going to be going on? Airplanes are not going to be flying at that time to come get you because of the crappy weather that your tent failed on. Yep. So now you're out there in a survival mode. You get wet in the backcountry, that can be, you know, game over. And a lot of the pla- you know, the places were cheap hunting or where we were goat hunting you know, I, I guess, you know, thinking about all the what ifs, maybe worst case, we had to try and get down to the salt where there's some, Yes, there wasn't even a lot of the salt water down to the ocean, but, uh, yeah, that's so many places we hunt, like up sheep hunting, most of the time there's no firewood to burn. Oh, none. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I not... mean, I think the one year and, and the Brooks range, another side, north yeah. of the things, you just can only burn those small alders and they just, they don't get enough to do a warmth type deal it's just not enough there no i think i mean that that time you killed that ram right up back behind camp and went up to get the rest of him the next day i think i spent three hours collecting collecting firewood so we could cook cook those ribs up yep that's just you know anything you know northward you know that side of the the brooks range just doesn't have it you know i need and even a lot of like even you know, the Alaska Range or down the Wrangles or Chugach, some of those, I haven't been to a lot of that country, but yeah, you get up, up where you're up in sheep country, there's there a lot of time, nothing to burn. Right. Which, <laughs> I mean, just rabbit trailing all over the place, but, uh, I mean, kind of on the same line, it was that night I killed that ram the last time we saw Houdini. I got, I got him cut up, thrown in my backpack, and walked back down and was waiting at the bottom of the hill for you guys to get here because they had two sheep down and uh it was dark and i had my headlamp or no i forgot i left i left my headlamp in my tent because typically like it's pretty rare that we would need to use it up there mm-hmm. and wait i was so freaking cold waiting at the bottom of the hill for you guys have my pack loaded up and it was blowing and snowing and I put on everything I had, and uh, this was before my I started wearing. I like, got a good puffy jacket and uh, and the puffy pants, and so put on everything I had and walking around doing jumping jacks. And I'm like, man, well, kill some time. I ought to be able to find some, you know, something to start a fire with. And no, not happening. <laughs> nope, that's not you know. And these little side drainages, especially, you never find. I think we were, you know. Two drainages up. Yeah. You know, so you're off the main river, two different two drainages from there. So, yes, the stuff, that north latitude is just not there. Yeah. Burn. So, yeah, we, uh, yeah, it can get, you know, turn us 
situation really bad if you're using, you know, subpar equipment. Yeah, which is, you know, and I think, I think, well, I talked about it on the podcast I did with Aaron Snyder, but I mean that, and you just got a hold of one of those Kafaru lost parkas. And, I did. Yep. And I can't say enough good about them. And since I started using that and got a set of the full zip, you know, I think they're marmot or whatever, puffy pants, um, for, uh, over the years, you know, learning and changing your gear and clothing and, uh, learning what's, what works and what doesn't, man, like that's something I'll never go sheep hunting without yeah. again. I don't care if it's like the early August. I set up a, uh, I set up an overnight, um, you know, I, uh, I, uh, vacuum sealed it. Uh, my goal was to keep it at two and a half pounds. This thing doesn't ever leave my backpack ever. Yeah. And it has a Kafaru, uh, paratar, parahooch in it. It has a, a six ounce, um, uh, um, Gore-Tex sleeping bag cover, just the Gore-Tex sleeping bag cover, a set of puffy pants down and, uh, a little bit of food. Just high energy stuff, and I want that strictly for um, overnight work. If I have to stay out, because I always hunt with my bedroll, my yeah. closed cell bedroll. I always have that with me. But there's been times I've been caught outside with nothing, and uh, other than what my gear I had on, rain gear in my bedroll, I wasn't hunting with my paratarp. So. This season, I killed this ram on the 10th of September, and I was far enough away from camp that I knew there was no way I was making it back. It was too steep, and I needed you know all available light. I took all my photos, and within about eight minutes of my last photo, if you've ever seen the photo, it looks like it's crystal clear blue sky. Well, it is behind me, but what came in front of me over these big peaks that were in front of me was... 14 hours of non-stop wet snow. I was right at the snow line. So it's heavy, it's wet, and I didn't get out of the tent for 14, or out of the paratarp for 14 hours. And I am so thankful I had had this little, I don't know, it was a, a premonition. It's like, put this together, keep this in your pack always. Yeah. But, I mean, even at that, it was it was a very chilly night, but survivable, of course. And, yeah. uh, you know, as soon as the sun comes out, you know, 14 hours later, it melted everything off. I was able to, you know, cut my ram up and get out of there. But, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those nights you're like, what am I doing up here? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, it's just the difference over the years. Notice that some of that stuff, the difference between severely uncomfortable and like life threatening is a pretty fine line, it is. you know, so where, and. And I, I don't know that I'd heard you hadn't told me that you made that little kit, and that's a really good idea, you know, whatever whatever okay. it means. I mean, I, I I never, like, even my my day hunting gear, I pretty much always have stuff that I can rough a night out with in, yeah. in really bad conditions because sometimes you never know when it's going to happen. Right, and, you know, this hunt happened to be a uh, an ATV where I go in 30 miles, and then my ATV, I, I hike from my ATV about, you know, seven miles. So you you think you're going to do these day hunts. Oh, I'll just leave that here at, at you know, at my my spike camp. Yeah. You know, I'm seven miles from my ATV. I'll leave this here at my spike camp. Oh, I'll be back. 
if I hadn't thrown that stuff in there, I it would have been, you know, again, hypothermia is what kills the most at that time of year in those temperatures. Mm-hmm. And you can have the best rain gear in the world. And I do. I have really good rain gear and stuff that, but you get wet, it doesn't matter. So I... I always have had a pair of tarps since they came out, but I didn't always hunt with it. Now it does not, you know, leave my backpack. Yeah. It's always in there. Like I say, I wanted something that weight-wise, you know, you can't bring everything. No. So I wanted to keep it at a certain poundage, and it's got to stay at this, or I know it potentially is going to be thrown out. So Steve's getting his beard in the mic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I mentioned earlier or that we had a story about the uh, – moved into a little bit different topic, <laughs> a, little, a story about this the raft. And uh, so I won't spoil it by telling you what what this – how I refer to them yet. And I, I can't say it's mine. It, I got it from, from Tim yeah. Sterner. And uh, so it was the first year we tried, we'd airdrop this – little like it's a inflatable kayak basically yeah an air uh outfitter too yeah airdrop this thing so that we could in theory float all our meat down and just hike out with gear steve would float all our meat down we'd just hike out with gear and uh while we were up there the the river dropped considerably and it was time to shove off and (laughs) didn't get 10 yards down the river and hung up on a rock and so the whole way down steve's like lining this thing down dragging it and and cussing and and it's just getting worse and worse and we're getting closer and we're you know i'm trying to like oh man you know you're doing it buddy (laughs) not wanting to have to unload meat and and carry it out but uh yeah i kept wanting let's just unload it and my brother would just no we we're we we can make this i'm like well i'm the one out here dragging (laughs) You know, and, and, but I, uh, at one point I was sitting up on kind of a high bank over the river with Tim. We'd walk away and stop and wait and kind of watching you. Tim's like, just like calm as could be like he always is. Well, looks like Steve's about to have a high speed come apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I've been, I've had a few of those in my life. Yep. So if you ever like been out just. I don't know how to describe it other than the point where you get so frustrated, everything boils over and you're stomping and cussing. And and I can't say that, like, I've seen one or two from you. I can't, like, think of them at the minute. But, and I've had the one I think of myself, Steve and I were, it was on this goat hunt that the texting story yeah. was involved in. We had got, well, we wanted to get in one drainage and it was snowing too hard in there. So they put us on this glacier, like landed the planes on the glacier. And, and we camped on camped a glacier. on the glacier. There was no even remotely horizontal ground anywhere. Yep. Except the glacier. Yeah. So we parked around the ice and, uh, and, uh, no, it was just horrible. That you was, know. uh, that was. I lost six pounds just shivering over the week long. <laughs> in the tent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the weather was so bad. I think the day after we got there, it was clear. It was blowing like 50, but it was clear. And we went up, you know, we tried to get up one way and see what we could see. I mean, there, finding goats wasn't the problem. There were several huge billies that, yes. 
there's just no possible way to get to them. Or, and if you could shoot them, they'd fall in this lake. Yeah. Unrecoverable. Or into them big crevasses that yeah. were up there. And uh, so, Good billies. Yeah. I mean, Boone and Crockett billies. And, uh, yeah, so we got up the one canyon we could get up and get some high ground on, and then I ended up shooting my goat up there, got him back to camp, and then we were rained in the tent for like six or seven days, something like just yep. days and days and days, and the ice is like the snow and ice is like melting underneath the tent. So like there's n- no position you could lay in that you weren't in pain and just blowing. And we're like, <laughs> like, man, we are never, they're never going to be able to get in here to get us out. We call, we, we called the thing, even though we, you know, the, we knew there was some wind, but at the time when we called, it was good, clear weather. Yeah. And the pilot said, Hey, there is a big storm coming in here. You know, in fact, Anchorage, you know, Two was, days later, they yeah. had that huge windstorm at 12. But Meekins came in and got us, and we're, what, we, we, oh, well, here they come. And we're watching them and watching and we're them. Run, like I'm, we're sprinting stuff over to the yep. spot that they can land. Yep, and he did a couple passovers, and when I seen him easily drop 50 foot, just like that, out of the sky, I'm like, he ain't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> he turned around and left, and... Tyler had a high speed come apart. Yep, I was. Don't you, know what it was. It was just a high speed come apart. Yep, I had yep. throwing rocks and. Yep, but <laughs> it you know is like yeah let's we're gonna go and see what we can do. Yeah, the fortunate thing is usually there's one of us that's like remaining completely calm and to. is the voice of reason <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just kind of like all right we'll wait till this blows over and keep going. <laughs> Um, we ended up killing a good grizzly out of that, yeah, though. I yeah, mean, that's, the, ne- I, the next day woke up, and it was clear enough, and, well, or was it that day? It was that day. It was that day, because it was clear, but it was blowing, and yep. so we went back up there to try and find another goat, and uh, that grizzly bear was eating on, sleeping on my goat carcass, yep. you know, what was left of my goat carcass, and so, yeah, I mean... There's looking, always a reason. The Chugach sucks. <laughs> yeah. The Chugach. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, we have uh, a love-hate relationship with all of these mountain ranges. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, man, that, that trip was rough. Like, it was some parts of, like, I, I have a hard time reminiscing about the good times on that trip. Cause, I mean, it was great. I got an awesome goat. Oh, yeah. He was. Good Billy. I think he was, he was just, he wasn't even near as big as the other ones, and he was, like, just shy of making book, yep. I think. Good, really good one, and lots of awesome photos. And I don't know how many bla- like black bears oh, we, we saw. We saw a lot of black bears, like climbing around up in the up with the goats, basically. Some of the some of the more puck, pucker factor uh, things, those mulons and those on the glacier, the the wormholes that go. Oh yeah, that's scary. You know, you're walking on the ice, and is a last minute thing. I brought these like forty year old crampons that my uncle had, and. I was thankful for them, but, you know, you're walking on the glacier and there'll be streams and stuff running on the ice, and then they just dive into a hole. Yep, about three feet across. Yeah. And, enough and, to go down in and you, they're thou, yeah. a thousand feet deep or a yeah, hundred feet deep. You're or, not coming back if you yeah. go down. And then and, the water is 36 degrees, 35 degrees, just above freezing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, those... Are honestly of the things that I've seen in the backcountry. I mean, on heights once once in a while, you get a little heebie-jeebies on, but those mulons are actually are my most fearful 
thing out there. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get anywhere near yeah. that thing. And sometimes you just were walking and you you just they're there. Yeah. I mean, even stepping over some of them crevasses, eh, no big deal, you know, because when you, you know, can there's, see the bottom. Yeah, there's no snow on them, and they're you know they're you can step over them, but those little. Yep, they are. You better hold your breath. You go down one of those because you're not coming out for nope, a while. <laughs> you ain't coming out at all. You better hope your rifle goes down with you. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, but that's uh, again. There's always reasons why uh, things turn out the way they do. You know, we didn't get picked up that day, but yeah, got a nice grizzly bear. Got a, you know, nice grizzly. It's all memories. I mean, you still look back on some of the like that sheep hunting thirteen. One of the toughest, yes. most like required the most perseverance of any yep. hunt i think we'd taken seven days of food and had to i mean by the end i, I remember on the pack out eating eating sheep eat, eating sheep and like we i remember eating the last any kind of other food that any of us had brought yeah, it was it was you know you, you i remember we actually have you know a couple of days before had to have gary bring up some uh some yep. sheep or caribou meat up That's from right. where he was camped yep just so we could have something to eat <laughs> yep because you go in there with you you hope to come out you know five six days with something so you bring seven days of food but when you're stuck in your tent for three days you're stuck in your tent for four days or what have you you don't eat as much in there but you still are consuming some of those days and you know it just turns out now I'm all this, do I want to waste one day of walking all the way out, one day walking back in? I'm going to try to make it manage, and, and that's when you end up, like yeah. those kind of things. So, yeah, it's, you can lose a lot of a lot of pounds off you on those hunts. Yeah, I mean, that one. And then being cold, and, you know, I just, the way it is, I. <laughs> yeah, that I, I lost some pretty good weight that trip. I think the, the back-to-back sheep and goat hunt, I think I lost, and. I wasn't obese like I am now, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think I lost like thirty pounds yeah. in a month. I lost twenty two. I mean, so or that was during that a lot of days in the field. Yeah, that thirteen hunt though. I mean, up until we were leaving that Monday morning, morning, mid morning, I got back Sunday night at like eleven o'clock at night, and you guys are about four hours behind me. Yeah. So you showed up seven hours before the flight got there. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, it, that's, there, I've had two other sheep hunts that, that have went to the very last day possible that you were going to be in there. So before you got picked up, but that was one of them, but it was successful. Yeah. I mean, and it's one of the most memorable now yeah, Four four good Rams, not dinks, all yeah. good, good Rams. So I'm, uh, <laughs> reminds me cause Gary got back there first, of course, and Tell us the story out of the guide that was in there. At the oh, time yeah. <laughs> that had, had clients, and the client thought the guide was going to leave him there. Yeah. Like, they were legitimately scared like that throwing the, the stuff in the plane and, oh, we'll come back to get you type yeah. of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did have a lot of food given to us by that. Oh, that was awesome. I don't, I don't think it was out of niceness. It was out of, I don't want to put this in my airplane. Yeah. That's what that was. There's too much. I don't want to have to come back and get this. You want this type deal. Yeah. So. We were thankful for it. Oh, I mean, yeah. We got back. We just staggered into camp at like three o'clock in the morning that we were flying out and yeah. spent an hour just just hammering that food. Just We just destroyed that, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. whole stash. No, that was a very uh, thankful to have it. So. Yep. 
Well, we're kind of got a little bit of little bit of time constraints working here tonight, so we'll probably wrap this up. But uh, Steve will definitely be back on again. I mean, as I'm doing this, I'm finding there's so many more stories yeah. that are stories and and useful information that are coming up. And uh, I don't know, you just you just can't cover it all. No, like the last one ended up talking to Matt for two and a half hours. And uh, yeah, so Steve will definitely be back on here if I can convince him. And uh, yeah, th- Steve, thanks for showing yeah, up. You're and, welcome. Uh, Thank you for having and me. And hope all you guys have have enjoyed listening. And if you got any questions, comments, or grievances, you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com. And just so you know, even grievances, they are subject to being talked about on the podcast. Yes. So, <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.